Welcome to Control the Controllables. My name's Dan Kiernan from Soto Tennis Academy in Soto Grande, Spain. And I'm bringing you these podcasts. The aim is very clear to educate, to entertain and to energise the tennis community. Welcome to the next podcast. Welcome to episode 87 of Control the Controllables. Today, we welcome Jodie Burridge, up-and-coming star from Great Britain. Talks very openly about the injuries that she's had, already three major surgeries on her ankle. But there's some really, really key messages in there for, for players, for parents, for coaches, Her maturity comes through incredibly well and she talks about her real upturn in form and level over the last 18 months and how this has come about and she talks about that in such a a fantastic, humble, honest way that I, I strongly believe you'll take loads from the podcast. Sit back wherever you are and enjoy over to Jodie Burridge. So, Jodie Burridge, a big welcome to Control the Controllables. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me. No, it's lovely to have you. It's not, it's not been so easy getting some of you British tennis girls on the show, so it's it's nice to see a British tennis girl on the other side of the camera. Yeah, no, I'm always up for a chat, so <laughs> all good. And to, to those listening, Jodie has had a career high of 233 WTA, is currently 262 and was as high as number 14 in the world in juniors. We had a little chat off air, Jodie, and uh, I said I was going to ask you about your early tennis career and you've told me you don't remember anything before the age of nine or ten. So if you can go back to your being nine or ten, what are your first memories of your tennis? Um, I would say hitting with my mum quite a lot. That's how I got into tennis. Um, she used to play loads when we were young and especially when she had me, she played loads. So that's how I got into tennis. Um, and when I was nine or 10, I was literally playing, I'd say about three times a week at, um, the school I was at really close to home. Um, and then, yeah, it kind of kicked on from there when one of the regional coaches, for some reason came to just see how I was doing and got me into one of the regional camps um and then yeah kicked on from there and were you a a tennis or a sporting family at all a hundred percent we are a massive sporting family um my mum loves sport she's played tennis um basically all her all her life but also loves a lot of the other sports my dad was a semi-professional rugby player and played a lot of basketball as well. Um, and me and my three brothers have always been um, running around outside all different sports. I used to love netball, rounders, everything, hockey. Yep. Um, it's actually one of the things I miss about school is playing all those sports. Um, but yeah, massive ten- um, massive sports family. And what number are you of the four? Two. So you're number two because my we're we're the same in my family. We're four, three boys, one girl. But my sister was the youngest. She was number four. 
And she probably, we probably turned her against sport a little bit because it was almost like too sporty. So it's quite interesting to see. So maybe the position that you were, you managed to kind of get a little bit more of an on a level playing field. Yeah, definitely. I think I just tried to copy everything my older brother did. Um, and that was all the sports. And I remember the one thing I do remember about being nine or 10 is in like school breaks when normally the boys go and kick a football around or a rugby ball around and the girls go and have a chat or whatever. Me and my friends, my two friends back there always were, were playing sport with the boys yeah. um, instead of, of having a chat with the girls. Um, so, yeah, it's just been from a young age. I've always loved it. It was a good that was a good choice at, at that age that's for sure and then you then went to West Ham so where, so where are you from um so my parents live um southwest London um, okay kind of Guildford area so I went to boarding school down in Bournemouth um I most of the time I came back home at weekends because about an hour yeah. and a half um and it was always nice seeing the family yeah. every once in a while. Yeah. <laughs> Two days was enough. Yeah. Um, but no, yeah, so went down there till I was 16. So I was down there for about five years. So you went there at 11. It must have been quite a big move. Yeah, it was massive. I mean, 11 for me, like it's pretty young um, going mm. down there 11, but I absolutely loved it. Um, as much as my parents hate me saying it, I did not get homesick at all. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just loved my time down there with everyone in the boarding house and my friends um, down at that school. You sound just like Heather Watson when she was on. I don't know if you listened to her on the podcast, but she spoke about leaving to America at 12. And I've never seen a smile so big as she talked about, like she said, she didn't have one bad day, didn't miss home one single bit. So, and, and that's great to hear because I do think there's a bit of a, a bit of a stigma in the sport that, you know, children leave, leave home at a young age and they go to these tennis schools or they go to these boarding schools and that's cruelty to the children. And it's because they've got crazy pushy parents, but it's nice to see that that's not always the case. Yeah, no, for sure. I actually, in one way, I think it helps me um, because obviously with tennis you want to be playing about 25 30 tournaments a year which means you're away for half the year so you're not at home um so it's actually I've found it easier to go away I think because I've always been away from home from a young age um so I actually think it's helped me um in terms of that with the long trips that we do um the the four or five weekers where it does get tough at the end of those at the end of those trips um but yeah, I think it's easier for me than some of the people that I know of anyway. Um, they struggle a bit more being away from home. No, no, absolutely. And what are, your, what are your earliest memories in terms of travel internationally? What sort of age did you start playing, I guess, the international tour? I, I do remember, actually. I went to Spain. Um, I think I was about 13, 13 or 14 Um I went with George Jackson and a few of the boys, um, like Marcus Walters, Jay Clark, Max Stewart, yep. um, Joel Canal, who's actually um, on my team now. Um, so, yeah, long time ago, but I remember, yeah, it was a good three weeks and I remember just loving it. Do you know what's cracking me up? You, you, you're talking as if... This is so long ago, all of these years ago, you, you're only 21, aren't you? 
yeah, I feel a lot older than 21, that's for sure. <laughs> so all of those seven or eight years ago, you went on your first... <laughs> your first trip to Spain and then, and, and then because obviously we'll get to ITF in a minute and, and you ended up having a, a good ITF junior career, but tennis Europe, were you already one of the better players around in Europe at that age? I mean, I can't remember what my rankings were at that age, but I remember playing the tennis Europe stuff, the GB um, playing in the teams there. Um, so, I mean, I guess, that's a that's a good level, I guess. And what, what again? What hits me, Jody? Speaking to you, there does seem to be quite an obsession. And I know we're only talking a few years ago, but junior tennis seems to be building into more and more of an obsession. But it seems to hit me that you were just kind of playing tennis. Did you feel the pressure at that time? At the age of, um, I'd say 14, 15, 16, no. Yeah, um, I think when obviously I started to get to 17, 18, that's when I kind of felt a bit of pressure when I had to just to make a few like life decisions, I guess. Yep. Um, that's when I started to feel feel the pressure a bit. But at the start, I guess I was just loving traveling yep. um, and yeah, just loving, loving playing. And what were some of those life decisions? <laughs> I'd say the big one that it took me about seven or eight months to make was um, whether to go to uni or not. Okay. Um, which I actually ended up obviously going back on my decision because I, I did commit to a university um, verbally anyway. I've never actually signed anything, but then a week or a week and a half later, I said to them that I wasn't coming. Um, and I think I was supposed to fly about two weeks after that. So it was pretty last minute. And why the change of mind? um long long story <laughs> um, uh, we've got time we've got time <laughs> um no basically it just came down to like my confidence in myself and the level of where I was at um at that stage I had had two operations already on my ankles and I actually said to um, a few people when I had the MRIs for my second um, ankle operation I said if I if I've got have another operation I'm going to university I won't be able to to make it as a player I would have had two operations at, before the age of 18 or at the age of 18 um, so as soon as I did have that other operation I was always in the back of my mind um, and yeah, I was just battling with my with the confidence really, and it is a, it is a big life decision. I feel more so for girls at that age than boys. I think boys can come out the side a bit a bit easier than girls. Yeah, it was just I didn't I didn't know what I wanted to do. And actually, looking back on it now, fair enough. Like a lot of people people don't know what they want to do at eighteen. Um, but basically, a few weeks before I was supposed to fly. Um, I actually went to go play a 15k um, in Ireland, um, but it was actually more to go and see the guy I was actually seeing at the time, right, okay. um, because he lived over there, it was basically to see him, um, but I ended up winning the tournament, and it just showed me what I could, what I could do when I played, um, when I was relaxed, and just enjoying life, really, and didn't have those big decisions on my mind, um, and yeah, I just, I took a lot of confidence from that week and decided to give it a go. And any regrets on that? Or do you think retrospectively that was the right decision? 
where I'm sat now no I'd say 100% right decision I mean I would have loved my life at university I went to visit the university that I was going to go to and it was amazing 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 facilities amazing place um so I knew I would have loved loved either choice really but I am I am really glad that I made this one and you mentioned the difference with boys and girls a little bit going to college do you in your heart of hearts believe that US college is a place for you to go to actually develop into being a professional tennis player Tough question. I think it depends on the person. Um, I think it depends on the discipline the person has, because obviously at university there's a lot of distractions if you want to become a professional tennis player. Um, It's a difficult question because there's there's yeses and nos for both, but for a girl I do think it's a lot harder um, or just not necessarily harder, but I do think that less girls come out of college to play than guys. A lot more guys come out. And I would fully agree with that, Jodie. And, and actually, that's not even our opinions. I think that's that's fact. You know, I think if you, you know, if we look at it, it's the US college on the men's side. If US college was a country, they're the number two country in the world for having players in the top 250 in the world. You know, and it, so it, it's a proven development ground for for certain people to 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 go on onto the professional career. Now there is more girls coming out now, but there's nowhere near as many. So you've mentioned the distractions, but males get distracted pretty easily as well. <laughs> you know, so 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 what what do you think is the actual reason that that happens? I think part of it is as well is I feel like there's a lot more men who play than women um you can see that in the rankings really actually if you look at um where the women's rankings go to like 1300 or 1400 the men's go to like 2000 and something so I i feel like there's a bit of more men play than women but i don't know i feel the guys it's obviously it's you've got to be pretty physical on court and i think they have a bit more time to develop physically yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I don't really know why why the facts are the, the way they are. Um, yeah, I don't really have any answers for you. I've, well, I've I'll let me share my my opinion, which I've I've given on a couple of podcasts. But having someone like yourself, Jodie, on, you can tell me that I'm talking out my backside, or you <laughs> might, or you, or you, or you might agree. And I think I have a similar theory to why I believe that the Spanish system has worked so well, more for males than females. And I think boys in general quite like the kind of camaraderie of being together and kind of lads, lads, lads. Woo, you know, they're all kind of pushing each other on. Tend, tend to almost hunt in packs a little bit better. Whereas in general, and I stress in general because everyone is different, in general, girls do prefer having their smaller teams, having that little bit more work on their on their own individual games. And maybe in college, getting involved then in a bigger team environment doesn't quite work for a high percentage of, of girls as much. And that would be alongside what you're saying about the physical development, because I think 
the girls that are good are good when they're young already whereas the guys do need those extra years to to develop the physical side I don't know what you what you think on that take no I I do agree with you um a bit yeah I mean I do think it depends on the girl because from my experience I am a person who absolutely loves team events yes um I yeah I I love playing in a team I love the atmosphere there um that's why again I would have loved American College because being in in that team it, it yeah it would have been amazing for me really and it always brings out the best of me I think um even though there's a lot more pressure and stuff you're not just playing for yourself but yeah there is I'd say yeah just because I've experienced it I guess sometimes yeah that girls don't enjoy it as much as boys um boys there's there's I think there's a bit more obviously banter flying around and they all thrive off that um which I love, which is actually think is why I kind of get on with boys better than I do with, with girls. But I think that's also because I've got three brothers and that's what I've been used to my whole life. Um, So yeah, I do, I do agree with you on that a bit. Yeah. And what about in a train? I guess I'm talking about training environment as much as competition. I think anybody it goes to college probably quite likes that team thing and playing in the matches, but you know, you touched on it there you you get on with guys better than you get on with girls. We shove 10 girls in a team together. What's the chances that everyone's gonna gel and it's all gonna it's all gonna work together? I don't want to be harsh on the girls out there because there's a lot of girls like me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean probably not everyone out of those of that 10 are gonna gel well as a team. Um, I feel like that's just just the way it is really. Very diplomatic. <laughs> I, <laughs> these podcasts are just to provoke thought, Jody. You know, there's no, there's no stepping on toes. Let me just go back a little bit because when you were a junior, and I think this is one that I've always, always wondered with you as well. Obviously, coming through, you were, I think, as high as 14 in the world in juniors. Third round in Aussie Open, you lost in a in a tight three setter. To, to Kostyuk, who's now a top 100 player, and I think we all know is probably on our way to being a top 20, top 30 player. We've then got Rybakina, who's already top 30 in the world. You've got Andriscu, who 18 months later won the US Open, and all three of them made the semi-finals that year. I guess my question is more, how did that make you feel? Because that, that was your peer group and that transition into the professional tour is already a difficult one. Did you have an eye on those girls thinking how come they've gone so fast? Yeah. I mean, obviously when each of them broke through, it was like, Oh God, like they're the same age as you that I've been around juniors with them. I mean, Bianca's one of um, my friends and I remember actually seeing her literally a year before at 25, I think in Canada, um, where she wasn't doing so great. And then she goes and wins US Open. So it, I didn't, I didn't really, if you mean like, I didn't mean like take it to heart, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone I think goes at their own speed. Um, I feel like with, the injuries that I've had um I haven't actually played a full year of professional tennis ever um 
and I do I do feel like that has stopped me a little bit but I'm I'm getting on my way there now um but it is it's exciting actually um those girls getting to that position because it just shows you um or shows me that yeah it's it's definitely doable and in a year it can it can change like that so it's actually a massive motivator for me what a great answer and and no honestly it's such a good answer and it's such a good it's such a good mindset because that that can go one of two ways and i think you know you there's plenty tennis players in the pub around the country maybe not now in in current times but that have been in that pub talking saying i remember when i beat this player and it was unfair that this player went on and it was because i didn't get the backing and you know that horrible kind of regretty blamey way of looking at it so the fact that you've reframed it exactly in that way which is right you know that's the level that you you are able to play and you're starting to show that now i think is a, is a fantastic way of looking at it and and what apart from the injuries, which I know that you've had a few, what are some of the challenges or what were the initial challenges of transitioning from a junior into, into the professional game? I would say the biggest one is as much juniors as you play, as high as you get as a junior, you start from scratch um, in professional tennis. So obviously I got to 14 in juniors, but that actually meant nothing because my ranking was was zero or was 1500 or whatever when you start professional tennis so you you've got to start from the bottom and climb your way up and I I I mean I still feel that now like there's only obviously a certain amount you can move each year um you can have big jumps um but I feel like start like just getting your mind around starting from the bottom um and and moving up and I also the one thing that I remember speaking to my coaches about a lot was it's all going to come with experience a lot of the matches you get to a certain level and all the girls are, are the same level and it's it's literally comes down to one or two points what you do on those one or two points and that does come with experience um that's actually a lot of the talks I've been having at the moment with my yeah. coaches and stuff it's come down to those points in matches and especially with the player I am hitting hitting quite big and having quite a risky game style yeah it's going to come down to more matches more experience and just making the right decisions um yeah. so yeah and also sorry also you go from playing people your own age to playing people about 10 or 12 years older than you which yeah which is it's a different mindset you've got to have because you think oh god they're like 10 12 years older than me like I, sh- I shouldn't beat them or yeah just having the mindset of actually everyone's at the same level here yeah and it it doesn't matter about age anymore it doesn't it doesn't matter about all these things you just got to go and play the match um so it is really a different it's a it was the mindset um that you had to to take on I heard I heard something the other day, and I, I can't say it's 100% true, but I, I did read it. So whoever was writing it was saying it, that the difference between 120 in the world and 50 in the world is an average of five points over the course of a year per map. So if that's the difference between 120 and 50, 
I guess imagine the difference probably between 260 and 120 is going to be probably similar. Yeah. The difference then between 260 and maybe 400, you know, and you and you go back that way. And I think it's it's so important for players, coaches, parents listening to to understand those fine margins in our sport, you know, and and understand, you know, even when we're losing, we're quite close to winning. And and actually the opposite, even when we're winning, we're quite close to losing. So we need to constantly be be staying, be staying on it. In terms of your rise over the last last 18 months, which has been very noticeable from afar, what would you put those changes down to? You've obviously made some little adjustments or, or uh, the results have certainly shown that. Yeah, if I think back to when it really all started changing was at the start of last year. Um, I actually, I would actually say it was down to one of the trips I went on the year before. It was my last trip. I actually went to Australia for, yep. for eight weeks or seven or eight weeks, six tournaments um, with a week in between. And I went out there after splitting with one of my coaches, um, going through a bit of a rough time just in my life generally, um, split with my boyfriend, my granddad passed away. And I went out there trying to be a lot more free and a lot more mature with my tennis. Um, Cause obviously if people have watched me when I was younger, um, I mean, still a bit now, I'm a very emotional person. You, you can tell what I'm feeling um, when I'm on the court, off the court as well, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but so I tried to really manage that side of things in the maturity levels. And I had a massive, um, a massive shot of really taking, cause I didn't have a coach at that time. Um, so trying to work things out for myself um, in, in that time in Australia. And I came back knowing exactly what I wanted to work on, um, knowing exactly where I wanted to go with my tennis and just in such a, a positive mindset and really went into that year. And that was the year I actually, um, so at the start of last year, I got to 230 from, I think it was about 400 or 450 or something like that in half a year. And when I played Surbiton, I did my ankle again. Um, and obviously I couldn't play for three months or whatever, which was which was a big, big hit for me. Um, but yes, I've had to, um, jump through or jump over some hurdles coming back from that but I've I've tried to keep the positive mindset and what I was thinking about then um now and I think I've just I've grown up quite a lot going through just just life basically um it's a big difference I think from when you're 18 19 to actually 21 well there, there is there is for me um so for me, the, the turnaround has been mental 100% and credit to myself, actually, the physical side. I put a massive shift in, in the physical side, even though I had an operation in between the preseason after that Australia, Australia trip. I went really hard and got myself in the best physical shape then. Um, and that proved um, heaps of help um, throughout those six months that I played. And then coming back from my ankle operation, obviously lost a lot of that fitness. Um, 
but continued to try and, and try and get it back. And then actually during lockdown um, and COVID this time, I made massive jumps again with the physical aspect of my tennis. And that really showed when we got back to all those matches um, in Britain and then the last few months as well. Well done. No, 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 honestly, because it's, again, it's like you've, I have a big thing on this that the typical British tennis players way over the years has been, and I do think times are changing. I think we're seeing, I think we're seeing many more Geordie Burridge stories now than the, the, the story that we used to see, which was somebody got thundered, had everything, had a coach with them all the time. Their results dropped off a little bit. They lost the funding. They lost their coach, and then they gave up because because they never actually. What you've just described there is you've described ultimate ownership. <laughs> you've described you absolutely taking responsibility and ownership for your career because it's, it is your career. It's Jody Burridge's career. The coaches are influential, but, but ultimately you will control your own destiny. And I think it's, it's such a great story for people to hear again, because I think too many people over the years have, have not actually worked out themselves, whether they really want to do it because yeah. it's just, I'm all right. I'm pretty good. I've got, I'm getting help. I've, I've got a coach and, and for you to, for you to be able to do that and find that out yourself. Okay. You're probably not going to get to top 10 in the world without a coach helping you at some, at yeah. some, at some point, but to, <laughs> but to go through that period says so much about your character. So uh, uh, well done. And I think for listeners to hear that it's massive. No, thank you. I mean, I had to, to be fair though, um, it, the change had to come from me any coach that I, I would have got it that it wouldn't have helped if it hadn't have come from me because obviously you've seen me play a bit uh, maybe not too much recently but especially in juniors I'm sure you would have seen me bl- blown up on court maybe once or twice um, I can happily admit that because that fire as well as I've minimized um the carnage that comes along with it, that fire has made me the person I am today, makes me the player I am. I actually need that um, as long as I can reset for the next point, which is what I've worked on quite a lot. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the the change in mindset, the change in, in physical, it had to come from me. And it kind of came after that decision of not going to uni and really saying, this is what I want to do with my life. Now let's throw everything at it. Um, and as Dave, my coach, would say, I only am scratching the surface of what I can do. I've now got a, a base layer um, and base standards that I'm, I'm trying to, to live up to. Um, but there's so much more work for me to, to do in the same breath as well. No, no, absolutely. And I mean, I, the way that I would I look at it is when I, I knew you a little bit in the juniors, obviously there was the, the Roehampton when you played with Panner and won the doubles and, you know, spent some time. And then I definitely saw you at a few events. And I think there's never been any doubting your ability, but I always felt that you were on quite a small island. And if things didn't quite go the right way, you could topple off the island quite easily. You know, and if, if you managed to have one day where everything went great, then you were pretty sturdy and, and, and it, yeah. you had put in a fantastic performance. 
but I've probably also seen you more than you realize as well the last 18 months because I keep my eye out. You know, I, you do watch live stream, you know, I've seen you at different tournaments and that's been very clear how much more, yeah, just mentally composed clarity of game style, you know, what you're putting on court. So I guess my next question is, which is maybe the million dollar question, how you know, what, what have you done? You said you've worked through some things, but how have you been able to do that and improve that skill so much? I would, the start of it, I actually think I'd put it down to people telling me no and people saying, I don't think she's going to be a tennis player. Um, and people saying things like, oh, that's just Jodie. Jodie just loses, loses it on court. Um that's just who she is. And I think I just got fed up of that at, at that stage. And to be fair, even like last year with what I've been through, being through three operations, all on my ankles, all exactly the same things, the confidence in actually moving on court and actually trusting yourself on court, it, it was really hard. I thought I was over the third operation when I got back to, to playing matches, but I wasn't um, the, the first few matches actually it went on I think for like two months I, I didn't trust myself at all and I didn't realize that I wasn't over it um, but still people saying oh yeah she's not a good mover and in those matches yeah I was still getting upset more upset I say than angry normally it's it's anger um, in those ones I'd say upset I worked a lot with I worked with one psychologist in that time then actually he left the LTA so I've been working with a new guy and it's been really beneficial for me. Um, you have to buy into it and you have to find a person who is right for you. I remember younger, when I was younger, I spoke to a few psychologists who were doing like group sessions or whatever. And I just, one, I didn't buy into it because I didn't make a commitment to change it, which I, which I have now. Um, and two, I don't think they were really obviously the right people, but Matt, my psychologist who I work with now has been a massive help. Um, speedo as well um who has worked on my physical um we made a we made a big pact to really shift that um as well because people were obviously like i said were saying oh she's not a good mover she's not a, she's not a good athlete um she's had so many operations she's not going to come through it whatever and i think deep down it was me wanting to prove those people wrong um it's just the person i am <laughs> can be a good and a bad thing sometimes um but in this case I think it I think it's been a good thing I think just having open and honest chats with a team that I do like fully respect um and that's the team that I've got around me now um we're all on the same page all the time we know that my mental and my physical are the main things yes you still need to hit forehand and backhands in the court but for me that they've been the two big things that we've worked on and now I actually feel pretty solid on both of them and now it's exciting the fact that we can actually kind of focus more on the tennis um so I can really make big strides with that as it's really been about my mental and physical the last few years awesome there's a um a saying that I quite like which is change starts from pain you know you almost yeah. you almost have to feel pain to then to then kickstart a change. Yeah. 
and and it sounds exactly what you've just described there you know so so thank you to those people that have said those stupid things about you you know like you know look at look at you now and look at you in a year's time two years time as you're gonna as you're gonna fly and, and have this amazing career you know and maybe you can uh one year at Wimbledon, just give them a little shout out when you do a little speech, <laughs> if, you, if, if, you, if you win something as well. But we see this with so many amazing athletes. That's where it comes from. And again, I don't know if you've seen the Michael Jordan documentary, but yeah. you know his, his, his brilliance comes from wanting to prove people wrong all the time. He, he created it constantly, you know, and it's that whole thing that we almost have to feel pain to be able to make, to make those changes. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And one of the biggest um, times for me for that is after my third ankle operation. I, if I'm being honest, I didn't think I'd come back to tennis. I really didn't, um, especially the three weeks after having that operation. I was in a in a very dark place um, as much as my family, uh, my boyfriend, my team tried to keep me in a positive place. I was not a nice person to be around at that time. And yeah, I think then in, in that, in that sense, um, in that time is when I was thinking about people saying those stuff. Um, and obviously the fire that I have in me to want to be a player that really got me kickstarted to come back and, um, yeah, try and get back to a, to a decent level. Um, obviously I feel like I've come a long way this year, even though we haven't been able to play um, a lot. Um, but yeah, that was in in that time, like you were saying, you need to feel pain. I was I was really I was I was feeling a lot of pain then, um, and that's when it counted the most. And you've you've mentioned on on a couple of occasions, Jordi, about I guess happiness off the court. You know, and I, and I think sometimes when we look at tennis players, we almost, or sports people in general, we we almost look at them as robots. You know, mm-hmm. and we, you know, what's actually going on 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 behind the scenes there? How how important is that to you? I know that you're in a relationship, I believe, with a professional rugby player now. You know, how how big of an influence has has he been on your on your career as well? One from a happiness point of view and two from I guess sharing the same performance minded traits. Yeah, I mean he is funny. Um Speedo, my fitness trainer, he um makes a lot of jokes about this and so does Dave and all of my team. Um because I do say it quite quite a lot, like he, he did really help me through at that stage. Um, I think I'd only been going out with him maybe for like a few months. Um, he actually had a shoulder operation at the same time. Right. I went to see him in hospital after he had his operation. And the day after was when I um, did my ankle. And then a week later, I was in the exact same hospital having my operation. Um, so we were both in kind of the same same stage. Um, he was going through preseason stuff, so he wasn't missing many matches. But obviously, it was still hard for him not being able to to move and that. So, actually, going through that with him, I think did it did help me as well. And obviously, you you need to obviously be focused on tennis, 
and I am you you can't cut corners with it you need to give up a lot of your life to it but for me as well I am a player who needs a bit of downtime um and to go and see the people who do make me happy my family um Ben um I do think that's really important um especially for for kids who are coming up not to lose their friends um and and seeing them and still having a life maybe outside of tennis I think that's what my parents um did quite well for me I finished all of my school um and obviously having a big family my brothers and there was always people around the house and there was always things going on so I was lucky in that respect but yeah I think having um a support network outside of tennis is massive and um being with Ben as well it's it's made it I think a bit easier um to focus on what we're both doing we have basically an understanding that we both have our separate sports they do come first um and that's what I think in a lot of relationships as well that people struggle with if especially being a tennis player you're away so much um but during lockdown I was with him and we did a lot of um the fitness um and the weights and all of that together which really helped because obviously it was such a long space of time and one one day one person would be like oh I can't be bothered to I can't be bothered to train today and the other person would be like no no we're going out um we're going to the rugby pitch I would normally run around the rugby pitch he would normally kick um and then do some of the running with me so we'd pick each other up which was which was great um um so yeah being with him it it, it is quite good um that we're both in professional sport and we both have have the understandings of the pressures and the commitments that we do have mm. to make fantastic and and the key word again i'm picking out now is balance you know and and i think even to those listening and there's lots of there's lots of coaches players parents listening to these podcasts and us college is is a, is a big quite been quite a big topic you at 14 in the world in juniors was was looking at the option and to the point that you nearly went to college and i think that shows how balanced you are because yeah. you know the fact that you're still okay you're 14 in the world juniors but you're not having your head turned thinking you have to have to be a professional you know you're still thinking okay college is important getting my education might be important you're, we see all the time in tennis people that are 1500 in the world in juniors that are saying I'm not going to college you know I'm going to be a professional tennis player you know and I think that's you're you're reaping the benefits of having that having that balanced life and um, your parents have done a very good job that's for sure yeah I do thank them um, I do thank them for making me to be honest, I wanted to do it as well. I actually, I actually do miss school a little bit. I miss writing notes. I don't miss taking exams or anything. I absolutely hated that, but I miss learning. Um, I actually think I'm going to do an online course um, soon. But it's just, it's just nice to have that. Um, it's not a safety net, but to have that plan B um, if things do go wrong. And I think having the two, I know I keep coming back to the operations, but having the two operations at 16 and 17, it really did open my eyes to, to say, if I have a operation or if I hurt myself that much that I can't play tennis again, then what am I going to do? Yeah. So I think I've always had that mindset 
Um, and I think I'm lucky that, yeah, my parents have, have raised me the way I am and, and um, given, me, given me those options. But Jodie, if you play for another 10 years, which I'm sure you will at least, and you know, you have your successful career on the court, you've still got 40 or 50 years to fill, <laughs> you know, and, and, and probably, and probably unless, unless you are Serena, who, who maybe doesn't have to work, albeit she still has her fashion businesses and all of her other businesses. And this is sometimes I think that tennis players and tennis parents miss that tennis is a relatively small part of our lives you know the tennis playing bit certainly is it's a big part but the tennis playing bit is a relatively small part I think it's an average of six seven years that people play professional tennis so what what would be next for you what would you see yourself doing as a 35 year old you've had your tennis career I'm not going to put any kind of any numbers or anything on that but what would you see yourself doing in the future Oh, it's a good question. Um, me and Ben actually speak about this quite a lot about what we're going to do after. Um, and because he's obviously in the same boat rugby, you play till hopefully like 34, 35. Um, but for me, recently I've been saying I've wanted to start a kennels. Um, so because we've just got a new puppy while well, he's like eight months now. Um, and we've had a family dog and stuff and I just absolutely love them and I would just love to spend my day with puppies all the time but then I'd have like my own kennel so obviously it's, it would be like quite a good business um, I think I would definitely say I'd want to start my own business some way or another um, I quite like the idea of interior design or flipping houses um, for a living I think there's obviously a lot of money doesn't go um, well with puppies that Jordy. Hey, <laughs> um so no this is what I mean we've had <laughs> I've actually had so many conversations about this and there's so many different ideas that I have in my head um I would like to think that I stay a bit in touch with tennis but I can't see I actually can't see myself doing it um it might change in in a few years but um I think yeah if if, if I had to actually have an answer to your question it would be the the dog kennels probably I'd want to start my own business with the dog kennels yeah and my last question before we move into the quick fire how high can you go in tennis it's an impossible question to answer that um I mean, my goal for next year is is one thirty. Made that with my team this week, and I'd like to get to top hundred. I know that is very vague, but I do feel like at the moment I can't really see. I can't see past that um, because then it becomes too much pressure, and not just on me, but I just think. I have a goal, I have something in my head and I, I would say overall I'd like to get to top 100 at some stage, hopefully sooner rather than later. Um, but yeah, I can't give you a, a more specific answer than that. <laughs> and 
the first quick fire, but it's it's kind of a bit more of a medium fire question. Your best experiences in tennis to date? Battle of the Brits, probably. I absolutely loved that week. I was addicted to it. It was amazing. Watching it was yeah. was just brilliant. It's actually hard to sleep every night. Um, to come, I mean, we were all absolutely exhausted, um, but it was just an amazing atmosphere, amazing event run by Jamie. Um, yeah, an amazing experience for me. What was it like playing with Sir Andy? <laughs> Unbelievable unbelievable um i was actually joking around with uh, colin beecher before when i found out the teams um and i was saying like oh god I haven't played a doubles match in in so long like what if they chuck me with one of the boys and i was like what if they chuck me with andy that'll be funny and then first day of mixed doubles matches me and andy are paired up together by julie and greg <laughs> and i'm just like oh my god <laughs> i know but um <laughs> But yeah, even after the first day, I mean, obviously we all knew, knew each other, but not to the extent we do now. Um, and just um, our team, our team atmosphere um, for each other. It was, yeah, it was amazing. And I really think that helped settle my nerves um, during that match. I mean, it was annoying that um, we lost it 10-8 in the third. I actually feel like we should have won that match. We had a few chances. Uh, but it was an unbelievable, unbelievable experience to play with him. Um, I actually never thought it would happen in my life. Um, so I am so grateful for that tournament that week um, and him actually like saying, OK, yeah, yeah, I will play with Jody because he easily could have said no. <laughs> and he will and he will. And he, he's my number one person I want to get on the podcast. And for a similar sort of reason, because Andy Murray will go down as an as a complete legend, not only of of tennis, not only of British sport, but I actually believe he'll go down as a legend of somebody who has actually made a bigger movement in sport. You know, I, I really do believe he's going to be as influential almost as a Billie Jean King for equality in, in, in tennis and then equality in sport. I, I can really see that as his almost bigger destiny than it is of winning a few tennis matches. Yeah, yeah, he's very big into the equality and you always see the tweets that he fires out whenever there's um, any subject about it um, and he's always fighting for the equality for men and women. Um, so, yeah, I think he will continue to do that throughout his life, I think. And it must be nice to have that support from one of our own, I guess, as well. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, and especially... Yeah, someone who's played to such a high level and people respect anyway. Um, he didn't. He doesn't have to to say what he says about about those things. Like he's done enough in his career, etc. So it is. It really shows the kind of person he is that he gets involved with that stuff as well. Quick fire, rapid. Oh God. Forehand, <laughs> forehand or backhand. Backhand. Serve or return. Serve. Let cords or not? No. Injury timeout or not? No. Serena or Venus? Serena. Roger or Rafa? Roger. Liam or Lloyd? <laughs> oh my God. 
I'm gonna have to go with Lloyd seeing as I'm actually living with him but I love both of them the same <laughs> I, I won't ask you about Lloyd's opinion on sports psychology after the conversation that we'd had yeah I did see that <laughs> doesn't believe it at all <laughs> yeah. um, and one rule change that you would have in tennis what would I like to see what would actually help me so you're looking at it from selfish reasons. I'm talking about yeah. right, the, the game of tennis, not just not just to give you an extra couple of points, Geordie. This is you know, something for the greater good of the sport. Yeah, I'm just thinking about me and what would help me win more matches. <laughs> I would say more backward draws. So if you lose first round, then having tournaments that would have another draw after that Um I experienced that a bit with the St. George's tournaments um, this year where we ha we played seven matches regardless and that made people play a lot more freer because you knew you had a match the next day. Um, yeah. And I actually enjoyed it a lot more. Um, so, yeah, I would say that. It's a great answer. Nobody said it. You're episode 87 and nobody said that. So, he, unique. And... <laughs> The last question, who should our next guest be? Have you done Broads? You've done Lloyd, obviously. You've done Broads. Yep. Twice. <laughs> oh, of course you have. Yeah, he'd be a great person um, to do with this. I would say Freya Christie. Have you done Freya Christie? No, it's a good one. Yeah, I'm calling that Freya Christie. So you're, that's now your responsibility. It was in the small print that you signed up to. <laughs> Whoever you see, you then bring on next. Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll speak to her tomorrow and um, get that sorted. Jordy, that was brilliant, honestly. Like, for me and for, for everybody listening to that, I think there's so many unbelievable lessons in that, you know, and for you to have that maturity at age 21, you know, for what, what you've been through already, I see nothing but, a successful future on and off the court. I wish you all the very best and, and thank you for coming on the show. No, thanks a lot for having me. It's a pleasure. A big thank you for Geordie for coming on the show during her pre-season at the back end here of 2020. What did I take from the podcast? And it's something that I'm actually going to look into to try and do over the Christmas period, bringing together some of my collective thoughts on all the podcasts. And one common theme with all successful people, I believe, is their ability to take absolute responsibility. And if we listen to Jodie's story, you know, the six, eight weeks that she went off to Australia... She went there as a junior. She went there as someone who probably was a little entitled. She went there who probably not knowing if this was absolutely what she wanted. And not just what she wanted, but whether she wanted to do what is required in order to achieve what she wanted. And that's something that's very different. And she seemed to come back from that trip having time away from coaches having time to reflect, having time to work through things herself and from there got herself in the right mindset, worked hard on the mental side of her game, worked hard on the physical side of her game and started treating the sport as it should be, like a, like a professional. 
And it's no surprise that she went then went from 450-500 in the world up to 230 in a matter of six months. She's had a couple of setbacks since, but from what I'm hearing there, and I and I mean this wholeheartedly, Jodie Burridge is on the rise. You know, you can hear it in her voice, you can see it in her face. Expect big things from her over the next two or three years. I hope she keeps that smile on her face. I hope she keeps learning all of the lessons and I'm sure that she will. And I thank her wholeheartedly for, for sharing those lessons with us. I hope you guys took as much from that as I did. I hope you're well, wherever you are. We are going to keep these podcasts coming to a week until the end of 2020. And over this Christmas period, I'm going to review how it's going to look at the start of 2021. Let me take this opportunity to wish you all a fantastic, festive period with your families. Keep looking out for the next podcasts, you know, around the fire with the mulled wine. What better way than to put one of these podcasts on and listen to the amazing guests. I'm Dan Keenan. We are Control the Controllables.